As the times change and youth culture morphs into new shapes and forms, parents and youth workers must consider how to best engage kids in conversations and learning opportunities about the Christian faith. While the message remains unchanged, our methods must be flexible. Our friend Rick Lawrence, the executive editor of Group Magazine, is a strong advocate for creative teaching methods. Join us as we pick Rick's brain and talk about today's youth culture on this episode of Youth Culture Matters. From the Center for Parent Youth Understanding, this is Youth Culture Matters. If you're a parent, youth worker, educator, counselor, grandparent, or anyone else who cares about kids, we're glad you've joined us for this practical, informative, and hope-filled podcast. This is a place where together we talk and think Christianly about the rapidly changing world of today's children, teens, and young adults. Once again, welcome everybody to another episode of Youth Culture Matters. I'm Walt Mueller at the Center for Parent Youth Understanding, and today Jason Soshinik and I will be welcoming my friend Rick Lawrence, who's been in youth ministry for a long time, works with Group Publishing, is the editor, longtime editor of Group Magazine. We'll be talking to Rick a little bit later, but Jason, I want to talk to you now. Yeah, please. <laughs> I, How I'm, are you? I'm great. I'm good. doing really good. Yeah, we're having a good time here. In the Northwest, there's a lot of fun Apple things that picking. are happening. Apple picking season, right? I just uh, pulled that out. <laughs> no, but you know, we we do have uh, a place near here called Green Bluff. You can check it out, um, and you can actually throughout the seasons, you have all sorts of fruits uh, that you can go and pick. And yeah, it's actually so you can actually go get a- apples. Probably will happen soon, and and pumpkins will be happening soon. Why so, am I sorry yeah. I brought this up? I you know oh we're man. Just, I... <laughs> We live, we live in God's I was, country. I don't know if I you know. really understand, but uh, yeah, we here at Project 619 centered our life as a ministry in, in God's country. So. By the way, now that you mentioned Project 619, which we send people yeah. to all the time, uh, I just want to let you know that I heard Lisa, my wife, in the kitchen the other day, and she went, oh, man. And I said, what's the matter? She goes, the, the handle fell off my mug. It's cracked. So the Project 619 mug you had given her a couple of years ago. Oh, no. It's Kaplui, so send a new one. Okay. All well, right. we're, we we're getting new ones right? made. Those are, those are for anyone that's listening, those are not just like mugs. They those were made were like, like by a potter. They yeah. Were, yeah, they were yeah, made by a potter. Were, yeah, they're clay. Yeah, yeah. made it. Yeah, so that was, oh, man. Well, uh, you, you, you should have two, so you should have another one to get you through until then. But. Yeah, do you think, we've had a debate here. Do you think we should have Youth Culture Matters mugs? Oh, I would drink from it every time we record. That now that's that's that was a good answer. I would drink from it every time we record. What would happen as you <laughs> drink from it? It's kind of like I'm going to drink from the fountain. It's like well, of, it's just like when you drink from our podcast. It's a yeah. wealth of knowledge. Yeah, and I would be drinking from All the right. wealth we of to, wisdom that comes out of my coffee cup. We need to think about that. I like our logo. I think our logo is great, and I think it looked great yeah. on a mug. So it would. yeah. Speaking yeah. of mugs, I'm looking at two mugs right now across the table from me. Chris Wagner and Kenton Hawk. All right. Ken, I, wait, wait, I didn't even ask you anything well, yet. What I are you saying all asking. right for us? You're jumping right in. How do you know what I'm asking? Well, you're about to ask me if I have a question or a quiz for you. I was going to ask if your mom's listening today. Well, I'm 
not today, but when we release it, she okay, is. Okay, right. Okay. We've been yeah. And by the way, let me let me let me let people know that if you ever have a question for us, or a suggestion, some feedback, we're getting some feedback from people. Uh, any yeah. kind of response to anything we record, go ahead and email us at podcast at cpyu.org. Podcast at cpyu.org. We'll include that on the page. And as always, we're reminding people anything we mention here today in our conversation or our conversation with Rick Lawrence, we will include links to those things. And you can find those on the podcast homepage at cpyu.org. Just click on the podcast and you'll see all the links below the player, the podcast player. So, all Excellent. right, now I'll ask you, what do you got for us? All right, so. See, you jumped the gun. I just, I feel like I'm losing control. Well, not we that I have control. to. I don't think I've had it here for 20 years, but go ahead, <coughs> just play along. You go along on our two minute drills, so I figured I'd cut oh, it short by jumping boy. in. All right. Um, so, today, a <laughs> simple question. If you had to have a perfect weekend, what would you do? Nothing. <laughs> That's a good answer. <laughs> Is that your answer? If I had the perfect weekend, it would be nothing. I mean, how great is that? In life, just being able to sit and do nothing. Where at? Sometimes Where would you I'd... be? You'd be doing nothing, but... <clears throat> I don't know. I, I mean, perfect weekend. It'd be at a cabin with uh, family, with time to be able to do some reading and do some hiking. I mean, that would be awesome i would i would eat that up in a heartbeat mm. no technology just uh, a, a cabin that it, actually cabin wouldn't even have power you just are cooking on a wood stove and you just go hiking and man that that would be awesome am, am i there with you uh I why, why the hesitation yet. because to me i mean i'm disappointed now you didn't invite me. You didn't include me. You didn't. The first thing out of your mouth wasn't, you know, at a cabin with my family and with Walt and I'm Walt's Lisa. family. Yeah. yeah. Are, are you Walt inviting Jason right to there. your weekend? Well, yeah, uh, yeah. That's my not. question. Am I, am I a part of your weekend? Actually, my my answer was nothing with Jason. That's. <laughs> you know what? Touché. I couldn't do the nothing. I couldn't do the nothing. I We had this conversation. I'm at a point in my life where if I get up at 6 a.m., al I already feel like I've wasted an hour of my day. I have to be <laughs> up at 5. I usually wake up at 5. If I accidentally sleep till 6, it messes me up. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. I just, nothing I, no, can't, I, hear I that. can't do. But I, I'm, and that's not a criticism but doesn't, of you, you slacker. No, I but doesn't nothing just, like, it, I know that it's impossible. That's why I ended up having to have yeah. something. But okay. doesn't it just, like, the idea of because of how busy we both are, doesn't that sometimes and, and just how life is like oh, yeah. doesn't the idea of just being like just willing yourself to do nothing right. and, and being once, able to do that? Yes, and once once September hits and my travel schedule really picks up, and you know about this, I look yeah. forward to those weekends on the calendar where it just says big three letter word off with an arrow yeah. through Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So I'll just yeah. this is my quick answer. I would be. It would be in October, the peak of uh, fall and leaf season, and I'd be on the North Shore of Massachusetts, where mm -hmm. Lisa and I lived for a few years, and just smelling that cold fall sea air that's right there. It's just, it's just awesome. Yeah. That's what I'd like to that's do. That's great. Yeah. That's no great. sporting events, no movies, 
Yep, totally shut down from technology. Sure. Yeah. Kenton, what would you do? That's good. Hmm. That's, now that I asked it, I didn't actually think about it too much. Okay. But it would probably be closer to Jason's answer of either okay. a cabin in the woods with nothing yeah. really going on, or the same thing, but at the beach with a couple, like, close people, but other than that, nothing around us and just kind of the beach to ourselves. Yeah. Okay. I'm a little disappointed. I thought you were so dedicated you'd be in here working. I would not be. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thanks. I like how everything's Chris. turning back to Walt. I know. It's not turning back to me. It's <laughs> Walt, turning back to Walt, Walt wants this to be about him, <laughs> you guys. It's so not Chris, about me. Chris, this yeah, better Chris. be this better I'm include Walt. I'd include be, me. I'd be mowing Walt's lawn. There you go. That's it. Car, That's perfect. Taking his dog out. Yep. <laughs> Which you have done from time to time. What 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 would you do, Chris? Uh, backpacking, absolutely. Really? Yep. Okay. By yourself, or would you have your whole family in your backpack? Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, if I could convince my family to go backpacking with me, I would do that, but okay. they probably would not. All right. Come. Good. Yeah, that was a good question. I like that. Well, that's good. Now I'm looking at forward some to point, that weekend. At some point here on the podcast, I will have to tell you about a recent backpacking trip, which seriously was one of the most uh, insane and dangerous trips I've ever been on. Okay. Which backpacking and dangerous don't usually go together, but this does. So at some point, we will we will share this story. Okay. Well, now is not the point because now is the point no. where we do our two-minute drill, and we're going to talk yes, about some of what's happening in youth culture. And we've got two minutes each. The guys will keep time with the bell. How's that bell sound? I, I usually don't hear it, so I just needed to check in there. What, uh, Jason, <laughs> what do you got? Start us off here. Yes, and I think that the next podcast, we need to have you go first. I always go first, but I'll, I'll get us going here. Uh, you know, It's because it's we, not about me. Go ahead. <laughs> Thank you. You know, uh, we, we uh, have talked a little bit about some of the, the changing norms around children and play and some of the opportunities that they have um, or lack of. Uh, when you and I were growing up, we, we in many ways could roam the streets, go out, play, without any worry uh, and today it just seems like uh, there's less play outside there's a lot of structure especially even then going further with just the reality of trying to build a lot of structure around the protection of our children well they're actually looking at some of the ways in which we've protected our children and how it actually might not be uh, good for the health long term physical uh, with health regards yeah. physical health uh, for the uh, some of our children just getting out playing being dirty uh, be eating dirt can actually be a really good thing that builds up uh, the immune system that allows for us to protect against things like asthma and uh, other diseases that that attack the immune system. Uh, we just went camping this summer, and you know one of the things we we just really loved was one uh, letting our kids run around in dirt. Two, um, you know they would eat the dirt, but the thing that we we realized and we would talk a lot about my wife and I, Emily and I would talk a lot about is it actually does build up the immune system. It's a good, wonderful way for the, the system to really kind of create uh, opportunities for the body to be exposed to things that uh, encourage and and uh, allow for better um, uh, immune immunity to some of the, the things that, that can actually get us sicker later in life. Actually, uh, an article I came across talked about this. Uh, parents can expose their children to an array of microbes by encouraging them to spend time outside uh, and actually 
what we're finding is that kids are spending less time now than ever before in the last 20 years. So really what we need to be able to do is allowing our toddlers and our babies actually to spend time outside, to be able to play, get dirty. And what it's doing is that actually can build up a lot of the system yeah. uh, for later in life. And I think also, I just want to say this very quickly. I know I'm going past the two minutes, but I just think that um, overall we've gotten to a place where we build a lot of structure and safety around what we choose to do. And I think that, that sometimes that can be a really good thing. I think the heart behind it is really good, but I also think um, we got to ask the question is, is what is, what is this really doing? Are we really teaching them? Are, are we allowing for them to really get out and, and, um, experience not only life, but also to, to recognize that they're not always going to be under the protection that we give in our home. Uh, that's good. Get your kids dirty. That's, I like that. I like that trend. That's <laughs> I do good. too. Yeah, but I, I do think it's helpful. Well, here's a real quick one. I'll only take a minute for this, but you know, every year, well, four times a year, actually, the Oxford English Dictionary revises itself. So they'll get rid of old words that we're not using anymore, and they'll add new words. And in this latest update, right, right, four times a year they do this, the latest update has 1,200 new words. And what I always find interesting when I track with this wow. is the words that are included many times are indicators of how culture's changing, new cultural trends, and so it's a good way to keep our finger on the pulse of culture. So I'll just mention a few here very quickly, and these are the kinds of things that indicate, indicate you know, what we're talking about and what needs words to describe, to describe them in terms of trends in the culture. So things like gender fluid, meaning relating to a person having or expressing a fluid or unfixed gender identity. YOLO, which is that, a, that acronym, you know, you only live once, which is, which is really a huge philosophy of life. Non-apology, meaning, a, and this is what we do on social media, right? <laughs> a statement that takes the form of an apology, but does not acknowledge responsibility or express regret for what has caused offense or upset. Which, by the way, I find that sports figures and celebrities in the public eye, when they do something wrong, and after three or four days of silence and you realize their agent or their PR people have said, get out there, you need to say you're sorry or else your, your brand is going to be destroyed. I think that's a good word, you know, non-apology to describe yeah. what they do. And then one more I'll mention, clicktivism, which is like that word we've used, slacktivism, which is yeah. about signaling support for a political or social cause by means of the Internet through social media, online petitions, rather than by more substantive involvement, including spending time or spending money on the issue. So track with that. Ooh, I'm right on. Wow. Well, uh, shifting gears just a little bit, uh, looking at uh, some of the food insecurity that happens among teenagers, uh, the Urban Institute recently did a study, it's a Washington-based think tank, that was actually looking at some of the behavior around um, those that are, that are adolescents that experience food insecurity, food insecurity being not having food, um, not not uh, being able to be in a place where they are getting adequate uh, structure so they can get food. And um, what they're finding is that specifically girls have had to, on so, in, uh, in, in some cities, uh, sell themselves or use their body or use sex to actually get food. And, and I just think that this is something that we need to be aware of in, in, in our homes uh, as friends come in and out. Uh, those that are that are looking for food, maybe um, in our youth ministries, even in our churches, because I, I think that we don't always associate food insecurities with many of the other choices that some teens are forced to, to engage. 
it's not just sex. Uh, what they also found among boys, shoplifting and theft was also a part of it. But it was it was an act of survival. All of this comes out of an act of survival. And I think when we're paying attention, when we're listening to what our students are saying, what what teens that are coming in and out of our homes that are friends with our teens are saying, we can really catch on to a lot, and we can really save uh, or or at least mitigate some of the things that are that that. Uh, some of these teens are forced into because of some of the insecurities that they have. And um, I, I, I just want to take a quick quote from this because I think this really sums it up. I find it particularly disturbing that with all the kids and almost every focus group um, were, were here, uh, what we found was happening with the girls. They knew the story about the girls. Everyone in the study, the people around it, the, the, the other boys, the other girls, uh, people in, involved with it, they knew the story about girls dating older guys or being exploited. And the stories we heard were mostly about girls dating older men in order to get them to provide money for them, rent, or for food, for clothes. Um, they're just very vulnerable. It's sexual exploitation. Yeah. And just being aware of this um, in the communities that we're a part of, I think, can be really um, helpful in mitigating some of these issues. Well, you know, and this story reminded me of uh, several stories I've read, news stories I've seen over the last few years about especially female students who are struggling to pay their college bills whether or, or yes. graduate school bills. And there's actual websites, one of them being seekingarrangement.com, where these girls set themselves up with what they call sugar daddies, who they exchange uh, sex and companionship for a monthly income, which pays their mm -hmm. tuition, allowing them to graduate debt-free. And it's a horribly skewed uh, expression of broken sexuality and economic realities. And this is where we need to bring balance and justice, and the church needs to step up. Uh, let me give us one more trend here, Jason, before we take a break, and that is, and this is good news. This comes from a, I love it when kids step up and in very constructive ways address what's happening in their culture, expressions of brokenness. In this case, bullying and loneliness and kids who wind up sitting alone in the school cafeteria. You know, the school hallway, the school cafeteria, the locker room in the in the gym before gym class, those are tough, tough places for kids. And yeah. we need to be sensitive to that. So there's this gal, Natalie Hampton. She's 16 years old. She's from Sherman Oaks, California. She has designed an app called Sit With Us. And it launched on back in the beginning of September, September 9th. And she was inspired to create this after she spent her entire seventh grade year in middle school eating alone. It left her, you know, sitting alone, eating alone, left her feeling vulnerable and made her a target for bullying. So what the app does, it allows certain students to designate themselves as ambassadors. And what those kids do is they then, through the app, invite kids who, by posting an open lunch event, kids can go on there who walk in with their tray or walk in with their lunch and don't know where to sit. They can find a place to sit where they're uh, welcomed, they're invited to be there, and they can enter into conversation and it's just a way to bring about healthy social engagements with kids in a world that can be absolutely brutal in terms of the peer culture. So kudos to this young lady, uh, 16 yes, years indeed. old, Natalie Hampton, for creating this app called Sit With Us, and we'll include a link to that as well. So, all right, lots happening in youth culture. There's so much more we could talk about, but we are going to take a break right now. When we come back, we're going to talk to Someone who, if you're in youth ministry and you've been in youth ministry for a while, you're probably familiar with, 
and that's our friend Rick Lawrence. So we're going to talk about issues in youth ministry and issues in the world of youth culture with our friend Rick Lawrence right after the break. Stay with us. Here at CPYU, we're taking steps to help parents, youth workers, educators, and anyone else who cares about kids help the kids they know and love navigate the difficult issues of life. We've put together a one-day training seminar called Tackling the Tough Stuff that we can bring to your community. Over the course of the day, Marth Penner and I will provide information and practical steps you can take to address narcissism, pornography, self-injury, depression, suicide, and a variety of other tough issues kids face in today's world. To learn more about bringing Tackling the Tough Stuff to your church or community, go to cpyu.org backslash toughstuff or call us at 1-800-807-CPYU. Well, welcome back, everybody, to this episode of Youth Culture Matters. I'm Walt Mueller here at the Center for Parent Youth Understanding. And Jason, we just talked about the Oxford English Dictionary and all these new words that help us understand, you know, a little bit of what's happening in culture. And I I don't know if you saw this or not. I was struck by this, that one of the new words that they put in is the word Yoda. And they say uh, the definition is a person who embodies the characteristics of Yoda. Um, now, now we're going to talk to Rick Lawrence here. Rick, don't get worried. This is not about, it has nothing to do with appearance. So we're safe there. But it embodies the characteristics of Yoda in being wise, an elder, a sage, or a guru. And that's why I'm glad Rick Lawrence is here. Rick's a longtime friend. I, I, I'm not even sure how long, Rick. Pro- probably well over 20 years. And yeah, for sure. Like quarter century. Yeah, it's been a long time. And Uh, Rick, I'm going to let Rick talk a little bit about what he does during his days. But, Jason, you're probably familiar with Group Magazine, and that is one of the signature pieces that Rick's involved with as the lead guy on that, editing that, putting that together. Rick, thank you for being a part of this and joining us. Oh, thank you, Walt. Yeah, I've been... um for I've been in this for 30 years now, basically. Uh, next year will be my 30th. Uh, I've been uh, executive editor of Group Magazine for that length of time, but I also oversee all of our youth ministry resources at Group. So uh, I lead the team that creates those, and I and I lead the Simply Youth Ministry Conference that uh, we have in Chicago every other year. Mm. Now, uh, so to say your hands are full is an understatement. Is that is that a fair assessment? <laughs> yeah. Yes. They that's, are full. That's quite a bit. There, there, there is bounty in my hands, if, that, if that's what you're implying. <laughs> Jason, Jason and I kicked off the day today because he's on one side of the country and I'm on the other, just catching up. You know, we haven't talked for a few days. And just about like, man, we the fall came and we hit the ground running and there's so much on our plates and we feel like we're in a little bit of a fog. I don't know. It's tough trying to balance that out, but it's good. Uh, you know, when 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 our work, as I know yours is, you know, we we hope and pray just brings kingdom returns. You know, and yeah. so well, it's valuable. And if, and if we feel sorry, if we feel this way, students feel like five times that level of oh, yeah. stress and on ramp into Great a super word. highway at the start of the school year. It's it's remarkable what's expected of students. They go from kind of a dead stop in the summer to being on the autobahn. And uh, 
we're right now I have two teenagers in my home and I have a small group that meets in my house every Tuesday night. And, uh, these are kids that, um, have a lot going on in their lives and at school, a lot is expected of them. So there's a lot of sick kids in schools right now because they're just depleted by the, uh, the, uh, the stress of heading into the fall. Uh, and so we feel it, but they feel it even more. Yeah, talk a little bit about that with your small group. Who's in your small group? Um, you know, what age are these are these students? And, and, you know, talk a little bit about some of the pressures they feel because, you know, so much has been said over the years. I remember back 25, 30 years ago now hearing David Elkind speak about, you know, pushed, hurried kids. It hasn't gotten any better. People are sounding the warnings. It hasn't gotten any better. So what are oh, the yeah. kids you're working with seeing and feeling? Yeah, that's great. Let, let me just say this first about what you just said. It, what hasn't gotten any better is with the addition of digital technologies, the last little gaps uh, in kids' lives are now filled up immediately. Like if you go to any bus stop in America right now, what you'll see is a lot of bent heads staring at screens. There are no gap moments or margins for kids because now – because of their digital technology that they carry in their back pocket, they can fill every one of those moments. There's never been a time in history where there's less margin for wisdom to grow than in this time in history. So I'll say that, but uh, relative to our small group, uh, we've been, we started this small group uh, four or five years ago as a summer only small group. And it's because a lot of youth ministries sort of shut down that aspect of their ministry during the summer. And there were a lot of kids who wanted to continue to grow through the summer. So my wife and I started a summer small group, uh, and it pretty much ended. We, we did this on purpose. We did not want to compete with the youth ministry's small group. We're not trying to add on to kids' load. We already know they're carrying a lot of load. So we started it again this summer. And it's really uh, the, the kids that are involved in it are anywhere from middle school kids on up to seniors in high school. It's a pretty wide age range. And... Um, a lot of them are kids who have not found that they are hungry for something more and they're not finding it in their church or in their youth group. They, they, so these are kids who are expected to create on a team a five-minute film about a subject that they care about and they have to work together as a team and produce a five-minute film and then present it in class and get graded on it. But when they go to church... They don't feel at all expected to step to the plate and really do difficult things or pursue hard things or be respected that their voice really matters, that they have something to truly contribute. They go to church and they hear somebody talk at them. They don't get to be participants. They don't get their voice valued. So our goal in this small group is that we have a, 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 a slide that I have up when kids come into our space. And it, uh, it, it says, pursuing the heart of Jesus, not his recipes. And what these kids now know is that what we mean by that is uh, in the church, we often take the, the, the principles of Jesus and we try to help kids adopt those principles and live them out in their life by trying harder to be better. And our approach is, um, while those principles are true, it's really the heart of Jesus that really matters. And what mm -hmm. we're going to pursue in every instance is the heart of Jesus. And we set these kids loose to pursue his heart. And they have loved this experience so much 
that when it was time to end, my wife and I tried as hard as we could to end this small group. And these kids and these kids' parents have begged us to keep it going. So I said, we're going to keep it going as long as it's not a burden, as long as you don't feel like you have to come here this night because you're supposed to. Um, and last night we had the biggest group we've ever had. So wow. I don't get it. They have no time, um, but they will not let us stop this group. And I think the reason why is their voice gets respected in this group, that they have something to contribute. Um, and anyone can pursue the heart of Jesus. Even a middle schooler can pursue the heart of Jesus and say something that takes me off guard and surprises me. So that's the attitude we have in that group, and these kids are loving it. Rick, can you can you even go a little bit further? Because you're talking about ways uh, that you've allowed for students to contribute in this small group. Can you give some tangible uh, ways that that has actually happened uh, over the course of this group? Because uh, it sounds sure. like that is what's drawing them. Sure, sure. We, we believe, as uh, you know, I feel like I've had I've. I've I've, I've gotten like five master's degrees working for group for five for, for uh, 30 years um, because group believes in, in interactive and experiential learning. And we don't just it's not rhetoric. We really believe it. And I've been practicing this for 30 years and I feel like I'm finally getting good at it. <laughs> um, but it's it's really a way of engaging people that is question based, but also experience based. So last night uh, we, we pursued. Um, how is Jesus the only accurate mirror in the world? When we're surrounded by distorted mirrors, what does what do the distorted mirrors, what are they telling us about who we are? And how does Jesus act as an undistorted mirror in people's lives? So we looked at um, how Jesus related with Peter post-resurrection on his little stroll down the beach when Jesus asked him if he loved him three times. Um, we, we pursued that story specifically to try to understand how Jesus um, reclaimed the identity of Peter mm. by offering him a, a un, undistorted mirror about his identity. So um, we started off that evening um, with an experience where I gave pairs a piece of foil, and one had to hold it in front of their face while the other one sat behind them, and they had to sketch their partner's face based on the reflection in the foil. So it was really fun and funny, and then they got to show their artwork, which was all, you know, a mess because they were looking in a distorted mirror. And then we led right in from that into talking about what are the distorted mirrors around you at school? What are some of them? And I always have a whiteboard or a flip chart when, whenever I do anything because I write everything that people say. Um, and what I've learned over time is that that gives respect and value to the voices in the room. So I have a whiteboard in there, and when I said, what, what are the distorted mirrors in your school, they had no problem listing. I listed them all off, and then we transitioned into what does it mean to have uh, an undistorted mirror? We listened to the lyrics of Gunger's song, Beautiful Things, and I asked them, what line in this song is most meaningful to you? We had a discussion about that, and all of that led as an on-ramp into the exploration of Jesus and Peter on the beach. Mm. And I just simply asked them in groups— to look at that story and and find how Jesus restored Peter's true identity in this little walk on the beach, and what they said in response was so profound. Hey, I, you okay, know, so, Rick, is you can I interrupt and or go, just go back yeah, to well, some? Go ahead, Jason. 
go for it. Well, I just the the thing that I just I sorry. Well, Walt and I sometimes we'll stumble over each other. We get excited with our questions. Uh, <laughs> I, I, oh, this I, is good. I'm I am I am really really interested in this because it, um it's an approach that we have we we've done in our own ministry. Just seeing the need for for conversation rather than uh, lecturing. And I'm just really curious. You've been doing this for a long time. This has been something that 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 you you've um, obviously promoted through group. Uh, why do you think that there's still the historical view of um, speaking at rather than uh, going with uh, or entering in, contributing, uh, getting contribution from students? So why do you think the, the the lecturing model still is the one that permeates so often rather than the model that you're you're speaking about? Yeah, that's such a great question. In fact, in the bathroom last night talking with my wife after it was all over, she said, and my wife has been on this journey with me forever. She knows how I lead stuff. But she said, you know, Rick, I think I'm finally beginning to understand when you say what you do is a beautiful mess. She said it really is messy because you're giving over some of the control to another voice. And that can scare people. So the reason that this lecture talk at you method has been so held on to for so long as a quote unquote big church still holds on to this as the primary methodology for teaching, even though it's been debunked over and over again by educational experts, even in the Christian community as a very poor way to help people learn and grow. And in addition, Jesus very rarely used this method. (laughs) He used questions, stories, and experiences primarily to help people grow not lectures. And yet it hangs on because A, it's what we know, and B, it's within our control. We are scared to death as people of losing control. Therefore, if I just talk at you, I'm in complete control of all of all of the content. So for me, the, the picture here to get in your mind is the difference between classical music and jazz. I came to start loving jazz about a decade or so ago because it's an improvisational art form, and it's, it was matching what was happening in me, which is to be led by the Spirit is an improvisational art form. So you can either play classical music and play all the notes on the page, and there's some beauty to that, or you can enter into the art form of jazz where you know where you're going, but there's lots of room for improvisation along the way, and I have found that it's in the moments of improvisation led by the Spirit that profound transformation happens in people's lives. So that's what I'm after. So that's what I'm willing to do to now create space for that. Now, in the in the context of that, uh, just to clarify, you're you're not controlling everything from start to finish. You're allowing right. you're allowing your students and their questions, their issues, the things that pop into their head, the things that are beating through their uh, their heart and their bloodstream to guide the conversation, but you still come in and you you offer wisdom based on what you've what you've understood of God's word, what you've learned. So it's not it's not a ninety right. minute start to finish lecture, but you're not at all. yeah, but you're you're dropping in nuggets of right. didactic moments that, based on yeah, and that's the, that's the right way to say it too. I have a very well thought out plan for what I do. But it, it just as in jazz, the jazz musicians know where they're going, but they leave room for improvisation and riffing along the way. I expect it to happen, and I love when it happens, and it's not just that I'm throwing in my nuggets. 
I'm inviting kids and adults into this pursuit as well. Can a kid see something in the heart of Jesus that I don't and take me off guard? Yes. And, you know, the centurion astonished Jesus when he said, you don't even have to come to my house. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. And it, the Bible says Jesus was astonished. So we sometimes in ministry don't think that anyone but us can astonish us. But why not let those who are also pursuing Jesus have the opportunity to astonish us with their insight into his heart? That's what's fun. Mm. Uh, Rick, how have you, how have you over the years um, tended to yourself spiritually? What are some of the practices you've engaged in that have gotten you to this point where, A, uh, you're comfortable with this style of teaching, and B, you're able to really share with kids uh, wisdom that you've come to understand, that you've been taught, that you've experienced in your own life. You know, how have you, do you understand what I'm asking? Because I think yeah. there's good habits here that, and youth workers need to understand that tending to oneself is at the, at the root of this, you know, spiritually. And I know that's who you are. That's why I'm asking it. Well, um, you know, uh, there's lots of ways I could answer that. One, one thing is that uh, a little more than a decade ago, I started what I call uh, slowing down and paying ridiculous attention to Jesus. Um, slowing down and paying ridiculous attention to Jesus means simply not assuming I understand the heart of Jesus. Like growing up in the church, we are taught that we pretty much have Jesus already dialed in. Like, is there a story I haven't heard? No. Is there an aspect of Jesus I don't know about? No. Well, actually, he is an unending, uh, he has, a, he's a bottomless well of truth and surprise and shock. And when I started slowing down and paying better attention to him, I became more intimate with him. And that intimacy of my relationship with him was what fuels my own emotional, mental, and spiritual health now. Um, so, uh, you know, that's one thing. I've also made conscious decisions to keep some gaps in my life, gaps of silence mm. and quiet and aloneness. And I do not have a smartphone on purpose. It drives people around me crazy sometimes. And if you know, if you know Walt, as you do, the life that I'm in and uh, that I have to be, have my ear to the ground and teenage culture and I cannot be behind in the culture, but I've made a choice to have no smartphone because I know myself and I don't want to fill up every single gap in my life with that device, so I don't. So I've made my life a bit harder by not having a smartphone, but what I've gained is more gap time where I can slow down, chew on things, and be intimate with Jesus. So those are a couple of ways. I've also gone for a monthly one-day silent retreat at a, uh, a nearby spiritual retreat center where there, uh, it's just me and Jesus for a whole day. And that helps me to reset on a monthly basis. Mm. I, I don't know if you, uh, I'm just going to mention this because of your smartphone. I, I mean, and I love that. I, I'm all about borders and boundaries. I think when you study the scriptures and you experience what God has called us to, Sabbath, is just the most beautiful, wonderful, renewing thing. And I, I recently had this conversation with someone who said, you know, I don't have time to take a Sabbath. Well, you know, that's one, there's a reason why that's in, I mean, it's in, it's in the Ten Commandments. 
And, you know, so that to me means that it's it's fairly important and I've experienced that. But I just, I don't know if you've seen this, Rick. I'm going to mention this because we want to point people to it, but you, you sparked this. I was just looking for it here. The latest edition uh, of New York Magazine has a tremendous article by a, a, a writer, Andrew Sullivan, called My Distraction Sickness and Yours. And he's describing, you know, what you described at the top here about driving by the school bus stop everybody's got their head down and then transitioning out of that and how difficult that was for him actually going to a monastery to do this um and he shut down and just how freeing that has been for him so i that is something people need to hear it, it just gets well, in I the way of all this there's going to be a backlash against this because there always is there's a there's going to be a counter movement of those mm-hmm. who are unplugging doing away with their smartphone, going back to a flip phone or a slide phone. I have a slide phone now. That's an upgrade for me. Um, going back to these things because they're rec- they'll start to recognize what they're missing Yeah. Um, when all of their gaps are filled. Yeah. I. You know, one of the things I love about having this conversation with someone who's my age and your age, and even Jason, is we remember life without these things. And now we've got this this generation of digital natives who are growing up who – they have no concept of just how wonderful and beautiful it is to be able to shut down. This is good. We're talking with Rick Lawrence. Uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion about uh, Rick's practices and what we need to be doing in youth ministry to expect more of our students and lead them to a deeper knowledge uh, of and faith in Jesus Christ. Stay with us. We'll be right back. In an effort to help you help the kids you know and love navigate the difficult landscape of the emerging digital frontier to the glory of God, we've launched a Digital Kids Initiative here at CPYU. Thanks to a generous grant from a company called DAS, you can access our Digital Kids Initiative and a growing number of free resources and downloads by visiting the website at digitalkidsinitiative.com. This is one more way that we're helping you lead your kids to live lives where their faith in God is integrated into the growing amount of time they're spending with social media and technology. Welcome back to Youth Culture Matters. We're here with Rick Lawrence and Walt and I, Rick, always love to do this take five where we ask questions of our guests and uh, they're random questions, but they allow for our listeners to get to know you a little bit better. So are you game for this? Absolutely. Okay. All right. I, I have nothing well, to do with these questions unless they're really good. Then I'll take credit. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll do a couple of softballs and then and then we'll get a little bit harder as we we move along. Uh, All right. Okay. Very simple. First thought you had when you woke up this morning. <laughs> uh, first thought I had when I woke up this morning is, um, oh, my 13 year old daughter Emma uh, is in our small group and. She had a mother load of homework last night, and she was stressed about it, but she came to the small group anyway. And last night, the last thing she said to me is, Dad, I don't know if I can keep doing this. I'm going to have to get up early. So my first thought this morning was, how can I help Emma reclaim a little bit of time this morning to finish her homework so she doesn't have a bad feeling about our small group? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That's a dad. That's a dad there. I I love that. that. Yeah, I have really long involved first thoughts of the morning, I guess. 
I guess so. That's awesome. I was going, how okay. many steps is it to get to the bathroom? That's what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, second one. Uh, what's the best compliment you've ever received? Wow. Um, is this one of your softball questions? Um, <laughs> best compliment I've ever received. You know, um, it's it would it would have to be something like um, because of how you led that, I know Jesus better. Mm-hmm. That there is nothing awesome. higher for me than that statement. It's not that I know his recipes better. I know him better, and I have. Sometimes the biggest compliment you ever receive isn't spoken. You see it. You see it in, uh, uh, like last night, one of the girls in our small group uh, who uh, is kind of, I I would call her a youth group refugee. At the end of our time, when we're transitioning into our kitchen to eat food and tell jokes and stuff, she is scribbling away on her notes because so much is firing in her brain about Jesus that Mm. she does not want to leave before she captures it. So for me, yeah. just that scene, I'm remembering it right now, what that looked like. Nothing is more important to me than that moment. So I love that. I love I love it. It's not what's uh, said as much as what's seen. And that's really powerful. Yeah. Um, okay. What's something you find to be absolutely the most boring thing that you have to participate in? The most boring thing that I have to participate in? Well, um, the first thing that comes to mind is my daughter, Emma, is 13 now and she plays lacrosse and um, I go to every game and girls lacrosse is a little different than guys lacrosse. There are no pads and there are an inordinate number of times where the referee is blowing their whistle to stop play. And then the referee has to position all of the players on the field. There there's probably, I, I know that lacrosse, once you get older, gets better and better. But lacrosse, when you're young and a girl, may be the most boring sport to watch in the history of the world. Way too many whistles, way too many positioning of players around the field, and then they play for another minute where they nobody ever hardly catches the ball, and then the referee blows their whistle again. So that, that is, that's boring, but yeah. I, would never, I would never tell my daughter that. No, but you'll tell the whole world on this podcast. That yeah. is so <laughs> exactly. politically incorrect, but I agree with you 110%. <laughs> okay uh here's another one if you could choose one event throughout history that you could have personally been there and witnessed what uh, what would it be well so since the since i'm just going to go with whatever pops into my head first i my wife and i before we had kids actually went to england uh, after the first gulf war when uh uh, flights to overseas were really cheap. So we just decided to do it. I'd always wanted to go on a walking tour to follow in the steps of C.S. Lewis. Mm. Um, Cause he used to do this a lot. He would walk between little villages and stay in a B and B. So that's what we did. Uh, Bev and I had little backpacks and we walked the walking trails uh, in the Cotswolds of England in between little villages. But we started out and we ended up in Oxford and we went to go. We went to the Burden Baby, which is the pub that the Inklings used yep. to meet in. And we sat in the corner booth that these guys used to sit in. So if I had to go back to one moment in time, I think I would like to be there one evening when they had a three-hour conversation and drank a good beer 
I would yeah. love to have sat there in that conversation. So, wow, there you have it. that's great. I, I can't believe you talked about beer on our podcast. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually so, I'm joking with you. So I'm really sorry. To they make a ton of beer here. <laughs> okay, so I, I'm I'm trying to I, I've got several here, but I'm trying to think what would be the best one. Um, but let me ask this: What's one question you hate to answer most? <laughs> What's the one question? This is making I hate my to... head spin right now. That one, you know. Oh yeah. To the question. Well, I would say, uh, let's see. What's the one question I hate to answer most? And by the way, Again, I got rid of the softballs about... really early. Yeah. <laughs> the 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 one pops into my head. I don't know if I hate to answer it. I just hate hearing it is people ask me a lot, oh, you must travel a lot. And I always hate to have to answer them because they know I'm a writer and a speaker and I lead a you know ministry, yeah. I'm a ministry right. leader. And I, I have to answer in a kind of an elaborate way. Maybe it's out of my own insecurity that I have to justify my existence. But sometimes, uh, you know, people on the ministry leader level, it's a badge of honor if you're away from home half the year. I hate that. And I, I don't want that. So my travel is very judicious. I, I, I don't travel very often. And if I do, it's for a really good reason. So I end up having to answer this question and disappoint the person who's, who's talking to me because I know when they ask it that it would be a badge of honor if I said, oh, I travel all the time. So I'm always disappointing people by saying, I don't travel that much on purpose. Yeah. So That's there you good. have it. I like that. That's great. Was that five? Well, yeah, that was oh, five. Oh, that was good, yeah, Rick. Rick. You, you did, did a good it. job. That was yeah, and that, that was, was good. That, those were good questions and good answers. And I like, I love your borders and boundaries. I just that the yeah. you know we all need They're to really be good. principled with that. Well, Rick, we've got a few minutes left. I let's get practical here. We've talked a little bit about expectations and busyness and what do we need to do? You've thought a lot about this. What do we need to do in our youth ministry world to raise the bar, to really raise the bar for kids? Because, you know, I I hate to talk this way, but in many ways, you know, spiritual lives are at stake. If we're not leading them to true Christianity, we're not leading them into a deep understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. As Jesus described that and calls us to that, we're not yeah. we're not helping our kids. Yeah. How do we raise well, the bar? I Here's how I can answer that. Um, uh, Twelve years ago, I wrote a book called Jesus-Centered Youth Ministry mm -hmm. that came out of my own experience of my life and my ministry where I became bored by everything but Jesus. All of the tips and techniques of ministry, all of the strategies that I had invested myself in and had propagated in my role became boring to me in comparison to tasting more deeply of the heart of Jesus it wasn't a, a uh, sort of an idealistic commitment to this. It was simply a reality that happened in my life. I became bored with all that stuff while my love for Jesus started to really superheat. So I wrote this book called Jesus-Centered Youth Ministry that was a way of approaching all of youth ministry so that everything we did helped to, to uh, fuel a closer orbit around the person of Jesus. And then uh, two years ago, my team said, um, we want you to rewrite that book and re-release it. And I said, no way, I'm not rewriting the whole book. And they said, we really think you need to rewrite it. You've been doing this for 10 years now. So I eventually said, yes, 
rewrote it, re-released it two years ago in a revised, it's you know, fairly well, uh, completely rewritten, called Jesus-Centered Youth Ministry. Um, and the whole basis of this is that um, the tips and techniques, try harder to get better approach to ministry, I think is bankrupt. And what really will form a foundation of growth and life in any ministry, because Jesus said so, is helping people learn how to abide in him, the branch in the vine. So my focus for the last decade, the only thing I speak about or write about is essentially one version of this or another, a fascination with Jesus that translates into a deeper abiding in him, which then in turn, we get the life of the vine flowing through us, which produces fruit. There's been more fruit in my personal life and in my ministry life in the last decade, by far, as I have focused on abiding in the heart of Jesus. So in the, in, in the last four months, uh, or actually six months ago now, I had for years people ask in ministry, why don't you write a book about this Jesus-centered thing that's just for anybody, not just ministry people? And I resisted. Uh, but finally, I said, I'm going to do it. And I wrote a book called The Jesus-Centered Life. And it's been out for about six months now and doing really well as people find um, uh, kindredness in this pursuit of Jesus in every aspect of their everyday life. What does it look like in a pragmatic way? So I have a ministry side book that says, what does this look like on a pragmatic ministry level? And, a, and now an exploration of what does this look like in our everyday personal life called the Jesus-centered life. So that's my foundation of, of everything um, in, in youth ministry and in your life. Mm. Uh, real quick, because I know you got a you've got to leave us for a meeting here in a little bit, but um, I want to go back to an earlier question: practices for the youth worker to abide in Jesus. I love that. Abide in Him. Be it, see yourself as a branch in the vine, and I mean that's what feeds our ministries. It, again, some practical practices. Um, I want I want the youth workers listening to this to be challenged to make some adjustments. And you've talked about social media. You've talked about travel. Those are great, great things. Anything else you would add? Yeah, um, I mean, that's a great question. Uh, the, so the back two-thirds of Jesus-centered youth ministry and the back two-thirds of the Jesus-centered life are what I call the beeline practices. Yes. There are, it, it's, a, it's a term embedded in C.H. Spurgeon's um, lifelong motto that you, no matter what you're teaching or preaching or living, you always make a beeline to Jesus, no matter what it is. So, so these are these beeline practices are practices in life that help you to have a tighter orbit around Jesus, no matter what. So, uh, some examples of that I gave you uh, one already. The the cell phone thing is really one expression of what I call li living a thicker life. A thicker life is a is a more slowed down life. It doesn't mean that I I mean people that know me know I live a very fast paced life full of lots of things to do, but I find ways to slow down in the midst of that speed, slowing down with important relationships to me and slowing down for myself. I find ways to slow down. Um, another uh, practice that I call wallowing in mud puddles is simply. Uh, targeting the stories of Jesus that we typically jump over, like they're mud puddles. Adults jump over mud puddles, children wallow in them. Hmm. And Jesus said, you have to become like little children if you want to really grow. So the mud puddle stories are stories where we don't really understand what's going on. 
we don't understand really Jesus's behavior. And my my favorite one is the story of the Canaanite woman who wants her daughter um, exercised of a demon, and she's following along behind Jesus and his disciples, and she's screaming at Jesus. And finally, Jesus turns and confronts her, says, what do you want? And she tells him, and he says, I've come for the children of Israel, not for dogs like you. Well, that is a mud puddle story. He is saying something to her that is exactly what she's called on an everyday basis in a pejorative way. Why is Jesus calling her a dog? And her response, of course, is, well, even the dogs get the crumbs off the master's table. That is a mud puddle story where if you wallow in it, you come to understand the heart of Jesus in a much deeper way. Mm. And it's in the all of the mud puddle stories are the best way to understand his heart. So uh, that's a practice where you, when you come to a story, you assume you don't understand it and you wallow in it for a while until you, the heart of Jesus is revealed to you. So I have a, a, a bunch of other practices that you can do as a matter of course in your ministry or your life, but there's a couple of examples. That's excellent. This is, this is so good. And Rick, I, I really appreciate you joining us. Um, I know you've got to get to a meeting and if you would say hi to all those folks, they're great people out there at group. And we're going Absolutely. to include we're going to include all kinds of links to uh, all the books you've written. Um, we'll we'll find everything, connect to it all, let you know about uh, how you can tap into Rick's wisdom. Um, you know, this is what I mean about a Yoda, Jason. You know what I mean? We we get to yeah, hear all these great. Sure. It just comes out of longevity. He's not old. He's not old. We don't want to no. say that, but there's just some great <laughs> wisdom here. So Sounds we like want a sage. Well, yeah. Yeah. I have to, and I have to say something. I have to say something to you, Walt, before I head out here. So, you know, talk about Yoda. So, uh, you know, Walt, you have been um, had your ear to the ground of the culture for so long. And lots of people have done that. But you can't just have that. You have to bring meaning out of that. Yeah. And no one's been done a better job than you of that, Walt. So well, thank you for that. how long you've been doing that. And thanks, thanks to since we're going back and forth here, I'll just say thanks to <laughs> uh, thanks to the all the folks out there who have uh, who have helped us propagate what we do. You know, to give us an opportunity to share what we've learned. So uh, we've a we've yeah, a good, we're we're we've fans of CPYU. So. Thank you. Thanks. Well, we're gonna we're gonna link up. With, uh, with Rick and everything that Rick's doing out there, group, let people know about the magazine. Uh, and you can check out their site, all the resources there. Man, they are cranking the stuff out that's helpful. So we'll let you go. Rick, blessings on you. Thanks, guys. And uh, I hope you have a great fall. Thanks so much. Thanks, Thanks. for inviting me in. Thanks. Wow, Walt, that was uh, an incredible gift, I think, hearing from Rick, uh, and and I think that there's a lot that uh, we can, we've both been able to to gather from that and gain, and I and I really hope and I know that our listeners will as well. So, man, what a privilege that's been. So we'll we'll link up with all of those resources uh, on on our page, uh, and as always, we're so thankful for you listening to this podcast. Uh, be sure to go and. Uh, uh, like us on, on iTunes, rate. Uh, when you rate and give uh, feedback, it actually helps uh, notoriety or at least other people to notice what we're doing. And, and that's that's always helpful for other uh, parents and youth workers and church leaders. So, well, Walt, this has been a lot of fun. Yeah, Until thanks, Jason. All righty. Yeah. All right. Talk Take to care. you all later. Bye-bye. See you next time. 
Thanks for joining us for Youth Culture Matters, a podcast from the Center for Parent Youth Understanding. If you'd like to learn more about today's youth culture, visit our website at cpyu.org. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, email us at podcast at cpyu.org.